This is the Frogcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. Tonight, we are going to talk about the Frogs. They lost in the Big 12 title game to playoff-bound Oklahoma 41-17. The matchup didn't quite produce the result that we wanted, but it was a great season nonetheless. We're going to talk about that. We're going to hash through the Big 12 title game. We're going to take a look towards some bowl games as well as um, the area of grievances with the playoff committee, recruiting, and that much more on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, fellas, it wasn't pretty. I, I wanted a different outcome, and I thought there was going to be at least a, a different outcome in terms of the, the lopsided nature of the score, but it wasn't quite what we wanted. The Frogs go down to Oklahoma in Jerry World. Oklahoma Sooners win the Big 12 title. The Frogs come up just short again, just short again, come up short again. Jeremy, it wasn't pretty. You were there at the game covering it for us. What, uh, what's your just initial reaction to watching the game yesterday? Well, if you had told me that it was going to be a more lopsided win the second time around. I would have called you crazy. I said the same thing in my snap judgments. I just never would have thought that OU would have been able to beat TCU the way they did at a neutral field and, and really having uh, Gary Patterson uh, get a chance to prepare for them the second time around and, and make those adjustments. And I, I think in the first quarter, everyone thought, oh, man, this route is on. It's 17 nothing. Oklahoma can pretty much do anything they wanted to do offensively and, and when they get a, a their first touchdown of the year on defense, picking up a, that Kyle Hicks fumble, you're just kind of scratching your head and, and thinking, "Oh no, this is this is going to be bad." But they did a great job clawing back in the second quarter. I thought Kenny had a, uh, really one of the best quarters. Uh, it's hard to break down all the quarters he's played this year, but as far as throwing the football, he looked and, and running the football. He was out playing Baker Mayfield that first half. I mean, people are going to disagree with me, but disagree all you want Kenny Hill looked better than Baker Mayfield that first half and the second half things just fell apart I just uh the adjustments uh how in the heck Matt Boson got to cover in a wide receiver I I don't know and um the the other touchdown it was just speed on speed and when you got a guy that runs a 4-3 like uh, Marquez Brown you're gonna you're not gonna have a great chance of covering that guy and um, you know, it, it's no, uh, it's no knock on Ridwan. It's just, uh, speed on speed and he's not as fast as Brown is. That's just plain and simple. And no matter how far back you are, if, if you have a guy that can throw flat footed 60 yards through the air, I mean, he's going to complete those passes, but a little disappointed that they didn't play a little better in the second half. And, and I'm sure a lot of TCU fans are, but at the end of the day, uh, it's like I said, it, this is a, uh, kind of feather in the cap for them they get to say on the recruiting trail that they played in the big 12 championship no one predicted them to do that they were predicted to finish uh, sixth in the conference they finished second and uh, they get to go down to san antonio and play in the alamo bowl against a pretty good stanford team 
What was your take on the environment there? I know that the Big 12 hasn't hosted a championship game since 2010 when Oklahoma, of course, played in right. it against Nebraska. You know, the, the Big 12 is, is trying to utilize this as that, that, that coveted, of course, 13 data point. What, what did you think of just the environment itself? Is this a game worth having, not just the committee, but the, the, the four hours that you're at the stadium? Did it seem to meet expectations in terms of a festive experience that was uh, yeah, competitive yeah. before the whistle started? Yeah, I think so. I think there was a lot of buzz before the game and, and the, the crowd was pretty good. I mean, it was it wasn't uh, as highly attended as I thought it would be. The announced attendance was only a little over sixty four thousand. And I would say probably thirty five to forty thousand of that was Oklahoma fans. I mean, it was it was uh, uh, well more uh much more attended by Oklahoma fans than it was TCU fans. I'm not saying TCU didn't turn out. They, they actually had a, a good turnout for the game. But obviously Oklahoma, Oklahoma had a little bit more to play for. Of course, TCU had a chance to play and win the Big 12 championship. But there's a lot – I think there's a little bit more excitement when your team's actually playing for a, for a uh, top four spot in the playoffs. And I think if that was the case, if you flipped the roles there and TCU was playing for a playoff spot – I think you would have saw a lot more TCU fans, but uh, the environment was done well. I mean, the everything about the the championship game, it seemed like everything was on cue. The the uh, just the way they presented the game and and following just the the post game with the interviews and everything else, it was it was pretty spot on with uh, how you would expect to see a conference championship kind of like a it's kind of like a bowl game you know just kind of kind of that kind of atmosphere and uh, presentation but yeah I think they did a good job doing it and uh, of course when you have a, a facility like AT&T it's always going to look a little bit better but I think uh, Big 12 is doing right just as far as a presentation and atmosphere I mean, it, they're doing a good job keeping that championship game going and uh yeah, it it hopefully uh, you see some more of those top games in the in the near future because when you have a conference that has the status of playing the top two teams every year, you're always going to get a good matchup. You know, one of the things they had on TV that I really liked was um, they had kind of a hype video for both teams before they came out, and yeah. you know. It, Ladanian Tomlinson got to kind of introduce the frogs and they had the minute and a half video to kind of just, you know, summarize the season, get everybody excited. That was kind of a neat moment. So I like that. They had Bob Stoops that did that for OU. But, you know, I thought those were at least some things that the conference got right in terms of putting on a show like this, because when you haven't done it for a long time and the last, you know, the last time they they did a Big Ten, Big 12 title game, I don't know if anybody had Facebook. I mean, like that was a long time ago, if you think about how much uh, recruiting and environment and media and social media have all exploded since then i thought they did that right i just i just thought that was worth noting that well done big 12 you, you got that part right at least <laughs> it, it, it was pretty cool it was pretty cool before the game and pre-game when you would just have the kickers running onto the field whether it's tcu or ou you'd, you'd hear the ou fans cheer for ou players and of course tcu fans cheer for tcu players but uh, when each position group would come out on the field you would hear each fan base cheer pretty loud for for each of those position players and uh, that was pretty cool there was a couple moments where tcu when their defensive lineman ran out it was getting real loud from the tcu fan base and you can kind of tell okay well this this isn't like it was in norman three weeks ago tcu actually has a good following here uh it, they're going to be just as loud and even in the even in pregame when they were doing the tcu fight song you can really hear the tcu at the end 
pretty good from the press box, and, and that was pretty cool. It, even though there wasn't a lot of fans for TCU compared to Oklahoma, the TCU fans were really loud, um, very energetic, and, and they showed out well. I think Patterson and his players appreciated their effort over there on Saturday. Well, let's get inside the game here for just a little bit. Daniel, we'll talk with you for a second here. Let's um, let everybody know you're here. We'll start with you, Jeremy. What was a head-scratching moment in this game? Because I had a few. But what, what was a head-scratching moment for you where you're like, man, we, we didn't need that to happen, or that, that did not break our way, and we're going to pay for it? Well, first, the uh, Kyle Hicks fumble. I, I never expected to see Kyle Hicks put one on the ground. I don't think he's put one on the ground. I mean, you can count on one hand in his entire, entire career how many times he's fumbled football. The last one I remembered on. was in the Georgia game, in the bowl game. Yeah, I mean, it's – it's not very common for Kyle to put the ball on the ground and, and for them to have that happen on their very first offensive play of the game. I just felt terrible for him. I mean, he's a, he's a great player. He's done great in a TCU uniform. He's a good ambassador for the program. And just for that to happen to him. And it was kind of funny because even if he doesn't fumble, he's getting tackled for a two yard loss. I mean, he had absolutely nowhere to run on that play. And that was kind of, uh, kind of the, moment where you knew okay well Oklahoma's defensive line is going to be ready they're not going to give up the running yards like they did against West Virginia um, the other thing I kind of noticed uh, other than what I mentioned earlier with Matt Boson covering the receiver in the flats and then um, the other big moment was I think they had 15 seconds in the first half they're driving and they run a quarterback draw and I, and I told Jeremiah that at that point I don't think Gary was going to trust Kenny to try to throw the football into the end zone because everyone's everyone will talk about they have enough time to take a shot, take a shot, take a shot. I was the one saying take a shot up there in the press box too, tell in Jeremiah too, you take a shot. But I also said I think Gary's going to get memories of Iowa State and see Kenny throwing an interception and turning the ball over because the the one thing. Gary's one of the – what is it they say about throwing a pass? Only one good thing yeah. can happen. There's three – three only three things can happen yeah, and, two of them are can, and two of them are bad. That's an old Daryl yeah, Wall quote. That, yeah, that's his – that's basically his motto too. And so I think when I, – I even told Jeremiah when they spread it out, I said they're about to do a draw with him and keep it safe. They're just going to play for the field goal. And that's what they did. And and I was kind of wondering why they, why they did that. Why wouldn't they take a shot? But I can – you know, looking at what Gary's, how he's played close games like that before, I could see why he wanted to take the points. Yeah, your kicking game's not great, but from that distance, it's basically a chip shot. And you're going to, you would rather have those three points. And for the, he's, everyone knows Gary's superstitious. <laughs> he would, he would rather take those three points than for the oddball chance, some, a crazy pass can get tipped. Now I'm a, I'm here to tell you, Kenny Hill could have just easily fumbled that football, but I think Gary is scared to death to throw foot the football uh, late in late in the first half if they're trailing. He doesn't like to have a two minute drill. It's, it's I mean Boykin was one guy he's trusted, but I I haven't seen him trust a lot of quarterbacks to go down and do that in the two minute drill. He likes to just kind of keep it safe and not turn the ball over because. He's had times where a, a quarterback's thrown an interception in the half and it ruins everything. And the other team scores, pick six, or they get the ball and they go down and drive for a score. So I could see where he kind of played it safe, but I was still scratching my head at the same time to answer your question. 
Yeah, that was that was a curious, but that's a good explanation because I was like, "Hey, take a shot. We got time for one shot." I said the same thing, and they probably did the right thing, all things considered. Or it it, it was a snapshot of 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 the internals of of this season and this offense and where where the trust level is. Daniel, I know that you uh you expressed some uh, mild frustration in our pregame about the, our pre pregame show about the uh, about this uh, game about this moment. You have, I think you might have said some ungodly words. What what were some moments for you that kind of made you bang your head against the wall in frustration? He's not talking. He's just going to play that music. I think he's just going to play that music, man. (laughs) It's a funeral. That's what it feels like. Daniel, remember, 10 wins, 10 wins, buddy. 10 wins. You're going to start singing in the garden like at my grandma's church here, aren't you? It's like a funeral. Oh, man. (laughs) Or the that Mercy Me song that was played at every funeral for about a decade. Yeah. Uh, I forget what it's called. I don't you can know. only anyway, imagine. Yeah, I can only imagine. That's right. I can only imagine. Oh my god! They're, yep. making a, they're making a movie for that song. I have heard so many bad renditions of that. Let's not hear another one. <laughs> no. But anyway, um, this was uh, it was bad, and uh, yeah, I think it all got you know it. Started out okay uh, on defense, held them to a field goal on a, you know on their first drive, and I thought, okay, this is this is doable. Yeah, all right, here we come. Here comes the offense and fumble and score. Okay, um, then we get down total seventeen and nothing, and I'm like, this is. Uh, I'm kind of rehashing what Jeremy already said, but I you know I was just like, oh god, this is screwed. But at the end of the half, seventeen to fourteen. We got this. And they got Nick Orr coming back. Uh, Gary's going to make some adjustments. And uh, no, didn't happen. Um, come out, throw three passes, doesn't do anything. And and then wasn't long after that, I admit it, uh, I just turned it off. I couldn't I couldn't take it. Um, Two percenter. I get to it. Yeah. I just have it recorded. I'll, I'll watch eventually, but uh, it hurts too much. And um, it was – it just sucked, man. It was just so bad. You know, the the I, I want – It was embarrassing. We're going to talk about some good moments here in a second, but the moment that I, I felt just uh, – it's over. The moment I knew it was over, we come out, out of the second half. We have the ball. The game is is within reach. You know, we're down by a touchdown, and we have the ball to start the second half. We throw three shots downfield and have a false start. That That's a perfect snapshot of it. Oklahoma gets the ball back. What, what are the, You know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to come down, and they're going to score. And so they did. It's 31-17. And then finally, you know, we get the ball back, and we're going. We got that fourth and one, and we run that naked boot with Kenny. That was... That was the first time that I really got concerned about Sonny Cumbie calling plays. I've really appreciated about yes. how he's been able to get the most out of this offense. But this 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 is this is 62-year-old man complaining about the spread. So just put this in a bracket. You look at how they're lined up. They have that they have a they have an entire gap sitting open with Patrick Morris and Austin Schlopman there at right guard. And all they all Kenny has to do, and he's under center. All he has to do is do what we taught what I teach kids when I coach seventh grade football. Tap the center's butt, snap the ball, and get a get a foot. And we run that naked boot out there and he can't get it. And I'm not you know, I'm not saying oh he didn't try to get it, but he didn't get it. And after that it was over. You know, Oklahoma got the ball back. Guess what they did when they got the ball back? They scored. And it was it was Is over. that when Baker 
ran around with his arms flailing like a clown. I, I stopped counting after the fourth time. No, he he does that after every touchdown, Daniel. Okay, well, there's one every that was really prominent touchdown. that I just turned it off. No, he does That's he does it after every touchdown. He he runs and does his little arm motion the whole time. Yeah. I'll tell you when I knew the, the game was over is when Baker threw uh, – uh, two complete two completions in the second half, totaling 93 yards, oh. and two touchdowns, out of OU's first three plays in the second half. Yeah, they, yeah. they literally ran three plays and and scored two touchdowns, and Baker threw for 93 yards. He had 119 yards at the half, and essentially doubled it up in the first three snaps of the of the second half. Um. The, the one thing I told uh, I was on a bunch of radio shows this this week in, in Oklahoma. And uh, people were talking about Baker, of course, and and Rodney Anderson. And the one guy I kept bringing up over and over, not to pat myself on the back here, but the one guy I kept bringing up was Mark Andrews. Oh, yeah. And and I kept telling oh, yeah. them, hey, listen, that is that is Baker's safety valve. In a big third down, he's going to Mark Andrews. He's, he's, he's Tony Romo, and Andrews is Jason Witten. And uh, – he loves he loves Mark Andrews. He's he's going to him as many times as he can, and TCU just never had an answer. Nico Small had a rough day, man. He did. I love Nico to death, but Nico had a rough day coming back after missing two weeks. But there was a play. He got caught flat footed on that bubble screen. He had the guy right there. Yeah, yeah. the The crazy thing about it when when we look back at Baker's touchdowns and 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 his in his play overall during the game, the the one play that I thought that was the best one he had all game was the one Mark Andrews dropped in the end zone. I mean, he threw it basically off his back foot rolling backwards and, and put it right in Mark Andrews lap and he dropped it. Um, but that was, that was kind of the, the time when you just knew that, man, this, this quarterback is pretty dang good. No matter, you're always on your pen. You're, you're always on your heels when you're, just playing against Baker Mayfield because you, you're you don't know what he's going to do. I mean, you, you try to defend him any way you can, and that offensive line, he was right. He said earlier this week that the offensive line for Oklahoma doesn't get enough credit. That offensive line is very very good for Oklahoma. He had so much time to throw. But, yeah, he had so the much. fact that they that they they got I can count on one hand the, the the times they got pressured. You're talking about a team that has 40 sacks on the year, guys. Led the Big 12 for the third or fourth time in a row. Mm-hmm. And they had eight sacks last week against Baylor, and they, they barely even got close to them this game. So that just that's that's not a knock on the TCU defensive line at all. They've done tremendous all year. That's just a compliment to the Oklahoma offensive line and, and them not really getting the credit. Well, let's turn the tables here. There were some bright spots, and there are things worth celebrating you know, the two guys that stood out to me that I just have to highlight are, are a transfer senior and a true freshman. John D'Ars and Jalen Rager played played an amazing game. They both had big touchdown catches. John D'Ars with that, that what amounted like a one-handed touchdown pass that he was able to bring in on the fade down there in the red zone. That was a great catch, and, uh, you know, he, he's he's been worth every penny of his scholarship. I've loved watching him play. He had a nice game. Jalen Rager, that was the best throw Kenny Hill has made in two seasons. I don't – I mean, I don't think that's hyperbole. Easily. He made, he put yeah. that ball right where it's supposed to be, and Jalen Rager made a – he made a junior-level catch. I mean, like, that's the catch of a guy that's played 35 college football games. He knew what to do. He knew how to run that route. 
route. He got the guy beat. Look, look at look at where he positions his hips and his hands on that. He really knew what he was doing. Brought that thing in. I was really glad for him to get that moment because I think there's going to be a lot more of them going forward with Jalen Rager. So those are two guys that I really wanted to highlight that I thought had a good game. Anybody else uh, that you saw in this game that was that was worth highlighting as some bright moments in spite of the the big loss? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Drs is he he came out and had a big game and. It's great to see that guy have a good game because he just he after the game, guys. I, I not really good at describing mannerisms sometimes, but he's up there in the uh, post game and everyone's asking questions. And uh, someone asked him about his time over there at TCU, and you you can just tell the emotion that he has um, talking about TCU and talking about the opportunity he had when he left at, uh, LSU to come over there uh, to TCU and continue his uh, education and, and football career for the Frogs, and he just. When, when, he's, when he says it, you can just tell he has so much emotion behind it and so much truth behind everything he's saying. So you just automatically root for a guy like that. You know, it, it's, He's just a class act, a great ambassador for TCU football, and it was great to see him have that kind of game that he had. Uh, Jalen, yeah, you mentioned it, Jeff. He's, he's going to be a stud. I mean, he's, I mean, can you believe that he lost to a team that he was once committed to? I mean, holy cow, Jeff! Did you see the guy that was like asking him? Oh my uh, gosh! Yes, calling him Garbage. out. Uh, you, some some pseudo grown man with keyboard courage sends yeah. a tweet that says, "You have to feel really bad about your choice now because he had been committed to Oklahoma, flipped to TCU. Now that you play for the loser in the Big Twelve, I'm like, first of all, you're you." You've crossed so many lines of, of human decency to do that. Second of all, do you do you know who Jalen's father is? I mean, would you come say that to Monty's <laughs> face? I'd love for you to come say yeah. that to Monty Rager's face. That was, I love uh, how he, you put him in his place. Oh, he did. He did put him in his place, and I, I yeah. appreciated that. Yeah, I mean, there. I, I enjoy Twitter for the, the connection. I've met some fun people from all kinds of fan bases. But, man, there are some botter – there are some bottom feeders from the larger schools, and I know we yeah. use that pejorative like T-shirt fan, but that guy doesn't know anything about football. He just likes to run his mouth. I cannot believe he said that to, to a young man that just won Big 12 uh, freshman of the year on the offensive side exactly. of the ball. I mean, yeah, he had, he had a great season. Yeah, <laughs> He leads TCU in receiving touchdowns on the year with seven now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Sorry, I had to bring that up. It kind of pissed it's me off right. too. I, I I fired back at the guy and said it. This him him uh, choosing one score of the other will not define him. Um, yeah. The the other guys I liked was uh, Traven Howard. Traven Howard missed two weeks, comes back and has 15 tackles. I thought he did pretty good. Uh, being that he was out injured for for two weeks, for him to come in and get 15 tackles said something and. The one guy I've kind of talked about all year long that has has quietly he just had a really good season and I was so happy for him to get noticed on the Big Twelve All Conference team was Ranthony Tejada. If you guys yes. didn't notice yesterday, he he completely shut down C D Lamb. I mean C D Lamb did. didn't have anything on him. And if you look back at the long touchdowns that Oklahoma had, Ranthony Tejada was nowhere near those plays. So he you did know, a great job some... shutting down. Go ahead. 
No, we got some pushback from some some healthy pushback last year, last week that we didn't mention uh, Ranting to Hot on our senior celebration list. And man, you look both of the Oklahoma games. He just completely shut. He was a you know shut down corner in both of those games. So right. I was yeah. We really I appreciate you bringing him up because that's a guy that's going to be missed. Now, just to clarify something, you you said you you're in the know on this. He is not applying or is not eligible to apply for a medical redshirt. Is that correct? Yeah, I, he's not going to apply for that. I think he's just ready to go on to the next level, and uh, hopefully he gets picked up by someone. I think he'll get into a camp somewhere because uh, oh, yeah. he's just he's he's just now getting to where he's he's healthy now from that knee injury he had a couple years ago, and uh, I think this season has just really been a breakout year for him as far as his cover skills go, and he's shown that he can match up against the bigger guys in the Big Twelve and and uh, have some success, some success against those kind of guys. And I'm looking forward to see what he can do at the next level. Yeah. All right, well, let's take a moment here. Let's just kind of have a highlight of, of the season. When you think back on 2017, what is, let's just start with one moment. What is one of your favorite memories from this season? When you think about 2017, what's the one memory that's going to come to your mind that you were excited to remember? Daniel, let's start with you. Beating the... Oklahoma State Pumpkins in Stillwater for the first time in the Big 12. Um, and, and of course, back then, uh, we thought uh, Oklahoma State was the team, and we just ran all over them, and um, it was great. Um, so that was that was probably the pinnacle of the season for me. Um, of course, beating Baylor is always fun, too. It's always fun. Yeah, that was a great win. Looking back on it, that was that was kind of the high point of the season. Not that everything was down from there, but that was man, that was a great moment. And to this day, if you get into deep Twitter, the the Oklahoma State fans are still really salty about that, and I, I enjoy that. They can deal with it. Jeremy, when you look at 2017, what is your one of your favorite memories that might define this season? I like the fact that they beat Texas again, and uh, this is one of those years where Texas had really circled TCU on their schedule. Everyone was talking about uh, if if Herman was really the uh, going to be turning around the program that that TCU game was going to loom large for him, and they wanted to see how he would play them because Texas has been embarrassed by TCU the last three years, and uh, the fact that that loss for Texas was still the worst the worst loss of the year to TCU should satisfy every TCU fan. Now uh, it's a little bit negative recruiting that TCU keeps beating them the way they do on the scoreboard every year and, <laughs> and gets to brag about it. So and you I mean, can find it on I'll, Google and they need to oh, remove yeah, that I mean, just to yeah. be fair and balanced. I know. I mean, it, you know, TCU's just got to stop negative recruiting. They've got to let them play a little, let Texas play a little bit closer to them. And so they can have some bragging rights themselves. But, uh, it, it was kind of gratifying because I, I kept hearing it all year long all year long that and i even gave texas credit guys i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you i I predicted them to win eight or nine games uh but the fact that some of the longhorn uh, friends that i have were puffing out their chest saying tcu's gonna get blown out this year herman's the answer it was kind of (laughs) gratifying to see those guys eat some crow but you got yeah you really have to hand it to them because you know, despite all that talent, they still just went six and six. That's really tough. But the, that's probably the best school that that that's what they do. No one does 
less with more or whatever it is. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly it. No one does less with more. That was Charlie Strong's first record uh, record. His first year was six and six as well. They went to the Texas bowl, played an SEC team. They're going to the Texas bowl to play an SEC team. Sure. We'll be curious to see how that season ends with half their starting defense uh, sitting out for the bowl game. So, you know, when I think back on this season, I'm, You know, the Arkansas game was so much fun. That feels like five months ago. But just to go up there and shut down Arkansas and to win at their place, especially after that disappointing loss last season, I think think my memory of that will be – the the second Shea Wu touchdown out of the fro- wild frog where he gets the ball he about the nine everything piles up and then the pile just keeps moving and the next thing yeah. you know he's in the end zone everybody's going crazy you know that kind of put the nail in the coffin oh I, that was a great memory because you know it just annihilates some of those silly lazy narratives about how the SEC uh, plays uh, big boy football. I remember Gary Danielson talking about, I can't believe a finesse team like TCU came and run them, ran, you know, and has run them over. I'm like, you, you clearly haven't watched any of our tape. That was a great moment. I absolutely loved watching uh, Shea run it in there from the, about the, about the nine yard line. The, it was a big cloud. And next thing you know, the, the side judge was throwing his arms up for a touchdown. That was a great memory. I want to run. I want to punch Gary Danielson in the face. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't seem like he uh, – he's he, well, he's got his favorites. Let's just put it that way. The guy's got his favorites. Not that we all don't, but that we all got it. We all got our favorites. I want to run down a couple of uh, uh, season highlights that were from some listeners. We posted this on Twitter, so I want to read through some of these a little bit. Uh, John DR is catching a one-handed pass and then – or catching a pass with one hand, stiff-arming the defender and sending him into the grass. Man move right there. And I replied back, I can't remember which game that was because I feel like he did it five times. Uh, Jake Turner writes in and says he remembers Turpin's punt return touchdown against Kansas. You guys remember when he went back five yards and then turned and ran yeah. all took it to the house? Yep. Can't believe this one didn't come up more, but Jalen Rager leaping in the end zone, his five SMU defenders stood there with semen on their feet. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. That was a great one. Thank you for that, Francis Key. Galen Morris, one of my buddies on Twitter. Oklahoma State game, clock controlling, ball running, tight defense, Cumbie exceptionally managing Kenny Hill's work at quarterback, and Jed Anderson putting the exclamation point on the game with that last run. That was the most commented memory of this season was Anderson putting the game away against Oklahoma State. Wasn't that a great moment, guys? Yeah, that was going to be – that was the one when – Daniel had mentioned the Oklahoma State game. That particular play was probably my most favorite play of the year because Oklahoma State had so much momentum toward the end of the game, and you're just waiting. Oh man, they're gonna they're they're really gonna blow this lead. They're gonna blow this lead. And when Anderson busted through the uh, offensive line and and ran for the touchdown, you can just hear the stadium deflating. I mean, it was such a uh, such a big play for TCU and. Just uh, the way he came in and and carried the team on his back, 160 yards that day. That was awesome for him. That's the game Kyle Hicks missed, and uh, mm-hmm. um, Darius, that was Darius Anderson's coming out party. People forget in that moment, you know, Oklahoma State had scored 14 straight point, unanswered points, and they were only down six. We had missed an extra point, so they were only down six, and that was fourth down that we went for it, and that yeah. that felt like we were about to give the ball back to Mason Rudolph. Like it was when we gave the ball back to Bryce Petty in 2014. I was like, oh crap, this, I don't, I don't know if we can stop him. And then once Anderson took one step 
past the line of scrimmage. You knew he was gone. That guy just, that was a great play. My brother Peter writes in and says, Kenny to Jalen Rager on the touchdown yesterday. Gorgeous pass and a catch that holds, uh, that, that told the story of, the, of seasons ahead. So he agrees that Jalen's going to have some great stuff for us. Another one that gets mentioned a couple times, you guys will remember this from the first game. You remember Kennedy Snell's touchdown on his very first college catch? Oh, yeah. What was yep. that? Multiple millions of views on Instagram, Bleacher Report, Facebook. Yeah, that was some great stuff. Final, uh, last one, final one. Uh, Scott Gray writes in and says, after Jalen Rager's touchdown catch against Tech, he just handed the ball to the ref and jogged to the sideline, acting like he'd been there before and would be there again. I think we kind of see a reoccurring theme of uh, who Frog fans are excited to see get the ball in his hands going forward. Oh. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <sighs> All right, real quick here. Let's uh, let's flip over to the uh, Big Twelve. Let's talk a little bit about the Big Twelve, about the playoff, and about the college uh, playoff uh, selection committee. So let me just answer this. Let's kind of keep these tight and move through quick. Jeremy, first question: Was this a good season for the Big Twelve on the whole? Absolutely. I think it was a great year for the Big Twelve. You have eight teams going to bowl games. You had a resurgent Iowa State team played good football. Um, Texas Tech beating Texas late in the year, let them go to a bowl game. Texas, even though they finished six and six, there were there was some people thinking they were going to be five and seven or four and eight and, and not have the year they had. Uh, you've got to you've got to fix uh, what Kansas and uh, Baylor are going through. Baylor, understandably, there it's going to be a while for them to kind of climb out of the hole that they were they were in the last uh, or the hole that they put themselves in. Let's just put it that way. Um, Kansas State, Bill Snyder, he didn't play up to expectations this year, but they're going bowling. Great win for them over Iowa State in the season finale. But uh, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, I believe, is the best team in college football right now. I don't see how anyone's going to be able to shut them down uh, and, and minimize their, their scoring enough to, to win a ball game. I mean, TCU obviously has a great defense and, and the way Oklahoma just ran up and down the field on them was pretty impressive. Oklahoma state Mason Rudolph. I mean, the guys, the guys awesome. Uh, who am I missing here? I know I'm missing someone. Texas, West Virginia, Texas who we never West, remember. Yeah. West. Yeah. West. Yeah. They're thousands of miles away. That's why, but that's a non-conference uh, that West, game we play every year. <laughs> Exactly. No, West Virginia. I, I was I was impressed with them. I I thought they did better than than what I anticipated them doing. I love their offense. I love Greer. I love uh, I love Sills. Man, the 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 Sills kid is is a, a great story for him to be a, a quarterback who once committed to USC as a seventh grader to doing what he's doing now as a receiver is pretty impressive. But yeah, man, the Big Twelve. Now they've got to go out and prove it in the bowl games. But I think overall this this year was was a great year for parody. I mean, you really had no idea who was going to win. Who would have expected Iowa state to beat Oklahoma and TCU in the same year? No. They almost beat, they almost beat Oklahoma state. They I mean, almost they were beat West winning, Virginia. They, yeah. They were winning against Oklahoma state with, I think two minutes remaining by eight points. They and, had that very disputed touchdown slash interception that, that they would have, if it, uh, I think it was Joel Lanning that threw it, that, um, Lazard came down with it, and they ruled it an interception. And one angle looked like an interception; another angle looked oh, like a reception. Murdoch. That was Murdoch. Munchie that Murdoch. was Murdoch. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. I was flipping back and forth between games on that one. I couldn't remember. I just saw the replay over and over and over. But, you know, that was literally a, a jump ball that they lost in that game. Like, the whole game was a jump ball. And they should they came down to last possession against West Virginia. But overall, I mean, top to bottom, even even though Oklahoma, uh, Baylor finishes 1-11, and look at their game against Oklahoma. Who would have, who would have expected them to play Oklahoma so close? Damn. And just Texas playing Oklahoma so close, 29-24. I mean, this this league is going to be a tough league, kind of like I was saying uh, to someone the other day. It's kind of like basketball, how everyone was just beating up on each other in basketball. It's kind of how it's going to be in football. Next year is going to be really fun because Texas is losing some key guys. Obviously, TCU is losing a lot of key guys. Oklahoma State's losing basically 80% of their starters. Uh, Oklahoma's losing Mayfield, but they're returning some key guys at skill positions. They're Oklahoma is probably going to be the big 12 favorite again, because they're returning a lot of key guys. And I think for the brief two minutes that everyone saw what Kyler Murray can do, it's going to be enough for them to come in and, and everyone's going to predict Oklahoma to, to be the reigning champ again in the preseason. But yeah, I think, I think the fact that Iowa state kept Matt Campbell, that no one came in and poached him out of, out of uh, Ames. And of course, Gary Patterson stays at TCU and you got a lot of young coaches in the league. Lincoln Riley's young. Matt Rule's young. Tom Herman's young. Uh, Kingsbury's still young. I mean, you, this this is a great conference, guys. I, I, I love the fact that TCU plays in the Big 12. I mean, the, there's, they're not going to get the uh, respect nationally because everyone claims that the Big 12 is just arena football and no one plays defense. But hopefully they'll go out again in a couple weeks when bowl season starts and, and prove again that – the Big 12 is is here to stay, and they've got some pretty good football teams. Yeah, yeah. The only coach, the only two coaches that aren't young are uh, Schneider and and Holgerson is like 79 in dog years. When you just kind of count the impact of the whiskey in the in the Copenhagen, so He's in the actually, Red Bull. You know, Dana's pretty young. You know, I, Dana, know like Gary, I know he is. I know he is. Bill, because Bill's Bill's re, uh, retiring. And that's a big mess up in Manhattan because Bill apparently wants to make his son, son the coach. And a lot of the Kansas State boosters don't want that to happen. And, and some have told me that, sh- that Sean Snyder really doesn't want to be the coach. But when they wrote in uh, Bill Snyder's contract, they, they wrote in a, a concession that he could be part of this decision making for the new coach. And he would have a big input on that. Yeah, and he wants to keep it in the family. And there's some guys up there, some some pretty prominent boosters that do not want that to happen. And I think we they all got remember some people that could come back there. Oh, I know. Yeah, I mean, Jim, uh, Levitt could come there. I, yeah. I bet. I bet they could make a healthy pitch to Brent well, Venables. So. Well, that's that's the thing. You know, Bill, Bill Snyder apparently is the one that put the axe on the Jim Levitt deal. Because yeah. there was apparently going to be a, a thing where he was going to come be the D.C. and head coach in waiting. And Bill Snyder nixed that deal because he wanted Sean to become the head coach when he retires. But yeah. everyone remembers what happened to Kansas State the last time he retired. They hired Ron Prince, and he about put Kansas State back into the state it was in before Bill Snyder took over many years ago. So Big I think, eight, I, circa 1983. Yeah, exactly. So they're going to they're gonna have to make the right decision. Um, this time around and and uh it's going to be interesting to see who they hire up there in manhattan because everyone's are it, it's it's not really coming out that bill snyder's retiring but everyone knows because of health concerns and he's already he means two years from 80 he's going to be retiring and, and they've just got to make the transitions as smooth as possible i hope so 
So what about um, Tennessee? <laughs> you know, I got a buddy of mine that I, th- I think listens to the show actually. That's a huge Tennessee fan, and he he was tell he was giving me the whole story about the governor of Tennessee and the rogue AD and the when Curry went out, their AD who used to be at K State went out and tried to hire Leach. He actually essentially got fired on that trip, and they pulled the rug out from underneath him, and he was out there negotiating, not in good faith. It sounds like, I mean, now let's start with this. Leach was like their 14th option. I know Jeremy was their 13th option. Yep. Um, their their 10th option was uh, Mrs. Patterson. She turned him down. So I don't think that they uh, are going to end up. I, I did see actually tonight Phil Fulmer is interviewing Les Miles for that job. So it's going to be like 2003 all over again in the SEC East. So that place wow. is a train wreck, man. I'm, I don't see how any, I don't see how anyone would want to take that job right now. You know, I, I want to say this, and this I, I originally said this a couple of years ago in context of the Big Twelve, but you know now that we feel like we're on a little more of a national stage, I can say this in context to all of college football. I love that nobody knows who our AD is other than the smiling guy that dresses really sharp. I love that nobody knows who our chancellor is because every time I hear about David Bourne popping off in a press conference after a board of trustees meeting or, you know, Oliver Luck when he was at West Virginia or this AD or this, this uh, athletic director or this university president, that means that your university is not well run. That means your athletic program is a power struggle in a, in a political fight. And, I, and I'm sure there's problems we don't know about, but I love how well run our uni- this university and this athletic department is because that, that, that's how you keep coaches. That's how you get Patterson to stay. That's how you get Schlossnagel to stay when Texas offers. That's how you get Jamie Dixon to come here and leave the ACC. So, man, every time you see a fight, a food fight with boosters and a coach and an AD and a university president, just remember what TCU has because they got it going right there. <laughs> one of the all right, let's let's uh one last thing here before we move on to recruiting. Playoff selection comments. Daniel, let's start with you. I I uh I know you've had some comments on what you think of the playoff selection committee. We got Clemson 1, Oklahoma 2, Georgia 3, and then I I guess, you know, uh I don't know, maybe James Madison put it in the Constitution or something, but Alabama is number four in this playoff selection. Thoughts on the committee? Boo this man! Complete sham there. That's all that needs to be said. It is a load of crap. Um, Joel Klatt made a good point a while back where he said it's like a magician. They're... Um, it, doing a magic trick, they keep you focused on the top four, but what they're doing is manipulating the back end of the list in order to justify the top four. Um, and now, uh, when we had a shot at it in 2014, nope, 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 you have to have that 13th data point. Oh, boy. Well, this year it doesn't matter, and it didn't matter last year in that convenient. So it's a bunch of crap. I don't know what the solution is. Everyone thinks go to eight teams, uh, automatic qualifiers for um, conference champions, and then, okay, well, then what does that do to out of conference? I mean, it's just a big mess, and it's a money grab, and I hate ESPN, and I wish Bristol, Connecticut would get nuked by Kim Jong-un. Oh my well, let there be peace on earth, and let it begin with me. Wow. 
I think the frustration I feel is like what you said, on, kind of on the back end. I hate that we TCU got to the Big 12 title game, should be rewarded for that, got beat, and then numerous teams that didn't even play jumped them. I thought that, in the words of Mike Gundy, that's garbage. I didn't, I didn't think that that played out well for them. So, I, where are we as a where society? are we? As a society? <laughs> that, that's a timeless. That's an evergreen question. You know, deep thoughts with Aristotle and Mike Gundy. Where are we at in society? So, yeah, I didn't. I, I, I really don't have a beef with the top four. To be honest, I honestly don't have a beef with the top four because I think those are actually the four best teams in 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 the country. I think you could make a case that Auburn should be in over Alabama, but. The, the, this is the problem that I have right now. This is the this is the center of it. You're not rewarded for scheduling boldly out of conference. You are rewarded if you schedule boldly out of conference and win. It can be a little bump, but it's a massive punishment. So this is I was thinking about this. I posted this on Twitter. You know the Oklahoma. Ohio State series, like the last two years, that should be something that everybody should be excited about. you got two blue blood programs. Well, if they had just scheduled uh, teams that were slightly a notch below that program, they both would have gotten into the playoffs both, I mean, these last two years, I think. I think that um, Oklahoma, if they had just played, if they had played UCLA last year rather than Ohio State, they would have beaten them. They'd have been 11 and 1, and they would have represented the Big 12 in the playoff. And this year, if Ohio State hadn't played Oklahoma, their only loss would have been to Iowa, and they would have beaten, uh, you know, an NC State. They would have beaten, a, you know, somebody. If they'd have played Florida rather than Michigan in that preseason game at Jerry World, I think they would have gotten in and been a one loss conference champion. So you really don't get rewarded for scheduling boldly. And Ohio, you know, Alabama plays a really bad Florida State team that had to reschedule a game against ULM. I, I can't believe people had to pay money to go to that game yesterday, and they get rewarded for not having to play. They get a pass, and other teams are out there taking a risk, like Auburn and Georgia and Wisconsin and Ohio State and in US and Miami and Clemson. They're in Oklahoma. They're all taking a risk to get their playoff chances knocked out. And, and Alabama gets to just sit at home and get the benefit of the doubt. I don't like that, but I do think Alabama should have been in over Ohio State, but I don't like the structure and what it rewards. That's that's my hot sports opinion right there. I think – Right, and they, they – No, go ahead. Go ahead, Daniel. Well, I mean, I was going to say, you know, they told everyone coming into the, when they, the playoff era that strength of schedule matters. And so Del Conte rushes out and schedules who he can, and we get Minnesota over, you know, crappy teams. And everyone ridiculed Baylor for who they schedule. Well, it turns out uh, it doesn't matter if you play anybody good. If you lose, um, you're screwed. So the Baylor scheduling – Works out just fine. I look at you know Alabama and their mighty struggle against Mercer, and um, you know it's so. And then they 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 said that you have to have conference championship games. You have to have the thirteenth data point. Well, no, you don't. So they're full of crap. They just pick whoever they want, um, and then uh, make up a story and hope no one remembers. Now the problem is, I don't think this will last because in the day day and age of the internet. Um, you know, we don't forget things like we used to back in the day of newspapers and things that we would throw away. So, um, I don't know. We'll see, but I just think, uh, I don't trust, uh, I don't trust them because, uh, ESPN runs the whole show and they want money. 
I think they got the top four right. I thought Clemson should have been number one, OU two, Georgia three, Alabama four. When they do those top four uh, playoff teams, they're supposed to give it to the teams they feel are the best teams, not the most deserving. I know everyone's going to argue about Ohio State winning the conference championship. They beat a good Wisconsin team, but they also lost by 30-something points to Iowa. Now, everyone looks at Alabama's strength of schedule, which they didn't have a, a, a very strong strength of schedule at all. But if you look at no. if you look at their loss, who's their loss to? They lost to Auburn, which finished where they finished sixth or seventh, and seventh. Okay, so they lost to them in Auburn on the road, and that was their only loss of the season. Now everyone remembers or or, or knows that Florida State had a sorry season this year. They were six and six. But do you remember when Alabama scheduled Florida State? What were they ranked? What was Florida State ranked? Oh, they were what preseason two yeah. or three. So that game was a mark. But that, that, but I don't think you should be rewarded for see that's that's the the preseason polls. You shouldn't be rewarded for what a sports writer in California thinks of a team in Florida. He only knows the T-shirt of. See, I think that's I, the part I, I, I should because when it, when Baylor when when TCU was having that argument with Baylor that year, everyone's talking about how TCU's out of conference schedule looked better. They scheduled Minnesota. Well. Well, they scheduled Minnesota, but Minnesota ended up being eight and four and went to a bowl and was one play away from going to the Big Twelve, Big Big Ten title game. I do think we obviously had. I think TCU had a better schedule than Baylor in fourteen, and Minnesota was the differentiator of it. I'm saying Alabama should get zero credit for playing Florida State uh, outside of a six and six team. NC State was better than Florida State. I can run down the teams that were better in oh, Florida yeah. State. There's- I don't think Florida State should prop them up just because they're historically a strong program. This year, in the words of Mike Gundy, they were garbage. Yeah, but I just I look at the overall body of work and I see a eleven and one team, and I see their only loss being to a number seven team who also beat uh, a number one team and. When you look when you look at that, yeah, they they weren't blowing out teams, and people want to talk about Mercer. That they're going to have that game. They every SEC team has that cupcake. It's the middle of the season non-conference SEC schedule where they schedule a bunch of D three teams. I mean, it's it's going to happen every year. That's going to be on their schedule every year because they claim that they play the toughest schedule in America, and they need a break. And that's why you have those those crazy. Uh, excuse me, crazy weeks when they play those, those small schools, but Ohio state, I'm sorry. You, you can't get past the fact that they lost to 30 points to a seven and five team. I mean, you can't, I don't, I don't care. I don't yeah. care if they would have beat Wisconsin 59 to nothing like they did a few years ago. You, you can't get past the fact that they, they lost. I mean, they, they lost to a seven and five team the way they did and Wisconsin, Wisconsin, I mean, they're twelve and one. Yeah, they had an argument, but they lost to a, they lost to Ohio State. I mean, they're they're not gonna oh, Wisconsin's not gonna get over Ohio State after they just beat them. Um, so and no. and USC, USC's kind of. I mean, they they had a good year. They didn't start off great, and but how really how tough was the Pac-12 conference this year? I mean, it really wasn't tough. I mean, I, I think. It, Oh, no. It, it was the weakest conference, and I think the weakest conference for the second straight year. So I don't think that they're uh, – I don't think they were – What I don't strong, understand so. is how, how Stanford 
goes nine and four and gets in front of TCU. TCU seems like they got penalized for playing in the Big 12 championship. Um, they had, did. Had, had they TCU did. played that game a lot closer, say if the game finishes 24 17, I think you're talking about TCU being 12 and Stanford being 13 and TCU not falling all the way to 15. I feared with that loss that they had the way it was and the point differential that it was going to be bad for TCU that they were going to fall out of the top 12. Um, did, did I think they were going to fall to 15? No, because I didn't think they were going to let Washington jump them. Washington sitting at home in Seattle and somehow or another they jumped them. That's, that's, yeah, that was- Stanford's got a good strength of schedule, and, and, and they also played in a, in, a, in a conference championship game. But beat Notre Dame. Beat, That's a good Notre win. Dame. But when you They also lost to San Diego State. Exactly. But they're nine and four and TCU's ten and three and two of their losses were to the number two team in the country. And their other loss mm-hmm. was to a six and six team that beat Oklahoma. Seven and five. Oh yeah, seven and five, sorry. Seven and five team that was in the top twenty five for two or three weeks. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think they did it right. I think it's exactly what people were saying that the committee was trying to do a favor to the Pac-12 because they got left out of the top four. No, I agree with that, and that's that's the part that's discouraging. So, well, we're uh, you know we had a lot of questions about Stanford, but we're we're going to do a, a bowl preview down the road. We got some time here, but. What we are going to wrap up with tonight is recruiting in the time that we have left. So I've, I've brought on my good friend Jeremy Clark here, who is the most knowledgeable person on recruiting I know. And uh, we're going to run down some questions here that come from our board. Are you ready, boss? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, can you give us any word on uh, Coburn? We had a big home visit with him. Tell us a little bit about how that went and where the frogs stand with him. Visit went well. I mean, they and Fitch has done a great job of uh, recruiting him. And I've mentioned Coburn's name a few times here or there, but the the interest is very uh, sincere on both ends. And I can tell you, I can tell you that Coburn is is likely going to make an official visit. I don't know if it's going to be the week of December fifteenth through the seventeenth. But the thing to watch here, guys, can you hear me still? Sounds like I've gone mute here. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. No, you're good. Boss. Uh, um, the the thing to watch for guys is with a lot of these recruits is December twentieth. I think if if uh, Keandre doesn't sign with Texas on the twentieth, I think that will pretty much guarantee that he's going to come visit TCU at some point. I think Keandre is going to take a lot of visits. I think he's going to I think he's going to go out and maybe not be uh, so into the teams that he's visiting. Maybe he's just getting out, being a 17, 18-year-old, wanting to take some visits to enjoy the process, um, be a reward for the hard work he's done over the last four years as a high school student athlete, and, and, and go out there and see some places. But TCU's uh, very much in it, and I know he's right now the number one defensive tackle on their list. He's been a guy that Fitch has loved uh, this entire process ever since Coburn was a junior, and uh, they have a great relationship. I know I've said that a, a ton of times with guys with uh, Fitch and their relationships with, with uh, the defensive line coach, but uh, I, I really do think it's genuine. If you look at guys like uh, Corey Bethley last year where no one really expected Corey to end up at TCU, lo and behold, he ends up at TCU, has a great freshman year, and I, I can tell you that Coburn 
did take notice of guys like Ross Blacklock winning the co-defensive player of the year in the Big 12 as a freshman. So he knows he can go in and, and do those kind of things. And he knows that TCU does a great job getting to the quarterback and has led the conference in sacks and stuff like that. So they're, they're doing a great job giving him that information and uh, making sure he's aware of that stuff. Not negative recruiting. Just providing no. the facts. Just providing the facts. Just, and, just the uh, facts. Yeah, just the facts, and, uh, and and letting them know that he's he's one of their top guys on their board. And I'm sorry, I, I I answered so long, I forgot the other question. No, no, that's all right. Let's go to the next one here. We had a new offer do- go out this week to Louisiana D back Derek Turner. Take thirty seconds. Tell us a little bit about him and where the frogs stand. <clears throat> He's a teammate of Darius Davis and and actually a brother. Uh, I don't know if they're blood brothers, but everyone I've talked to says they're brothers. I think TCU's going to get them. I know they like him as a safety. Uh, like the fact that he plays quarterback for his team and and uh, very smart player and is a 10-5, 100-meter guy. So when you have that kind of uh, <laughs> status as a as a quarterback and a guy that can run fast – you're gonna you're gonna make some plays for Gary Patterson in his eyes, and and he wants you there. So if, if Derek Turner tries to come in, I know some people were kind of like, well, if they're offering him, where does that leave us with other guys? I and mean, they want Derek Turner. He's one of those classic late bloomers. Uh, has a great senior year, and and uh, TCU wants him now, and I think they have a great chance to get him. Another Louisiana prospect that we offered this week, Garland LaFrance. Tell me a little bit about him. He's another guy from the, um, Southern Louisiana. Yeah. Uh, kind of. Is this a reach? Is this a guy that's got a committable no. offer? Where, where are oh, yeah. we at right now with he's him? Got, he's got a very committable offer. They just offered him a couple of days ago, and I, I checked into it and was asking about him. They like him a lot. think he could be a, a, a player kind of like what Sean Nixon was um, and, and just be able to run the football. And, and But he's he's got the kind of speed. Not I don't think he's as flashy as Turpin, but he has that kind of speed. And, and I know everyone's going to talk about, well, they've already got – Tajon Henry, they've already got Tay Barber. You got to think about it. They're losing six guys right now uh, off their off their team at receiver next year. At the at the end of this season, they're going to be losing six guys, and so you've got to bring in a ton of receivers, whether it be slot receivers, outside receivers, whatever it is. You've got to have those replacements, and and when you have a guy that's making plays the way uh, LaFrance is doing this year. You've got to take a chance on him, and, and the great thing about him, he's 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 great teammate at friends, and uh, obviously a teammate on the bootleggers seven on seven team with guys like Justin Rogers, Nady Smith, and Darius Davis, and those guys, and, and those guys are all telling him you need to head to Fort Worth. And a couple of guys I've talked to behind the scenes have told me that they think LaFrance is going to be switching to to TCU anytime. So just keep an eye out for that. He's currently committed to Texas Tech. Currently, correct? currently committed to Texas Tech. That's correct. Because he had been committed to Tulane, then flipped to Tech, and so this would be another another chance for him to make a uh, move up the ladder, as they say. Right before we hit record, we had it. We had a commitment on the board that that, I, that broke on Twitter. I was glad to get that. I saw that you get that got that out, Jeremy. Pro Wells, I love that name. JUCO tight end prospect. Tell us a little bit about him and his recruitment process and how he ended up with the Frogs. Well, they they kind of kept him under the radar for the longest, and and. He kind of his name got more out there during the Baylor weekend there, during Thanksgiving and everything when he came in for an official visit. He's a athletic tight end. He's a lot bigger than than what his old profile said. He his old profile said he was six five two ten. His roster size on the Northwest Mississippi uh, Community College roster says he's six four two thirty five. Seeing him from five feet away, I would say that's pretty accurate. He's a big kid. Um, looks pretty athletic. Uh, he's not chiseled up like a lot of big, you know, 
tight ends are. He's 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 a solid two thirty five. But uh, watching this film, he had, he definitely makes some plays. And he told me tonight that the biggest thing he liked about TCU is he feels like he can fit in best over there. Um, with them and he plans on signing December 20th and that means he could be on campus by by January so if he uh makes uh, you know comes in and, and, and has a good spring with them losing guys like Cole Hunt and Charlie Charlie Reed then that's going to give him a chance to come in and, and play right away because they're they're really young at tight end right now Artavius Lynn and Christian Williams uh even though Christian Williams was a Juco guy he didn't get a lot of experience this year and Lynn obviously he's got great upside being as big as he is but he just doesn't have a ton of experience and if you can got, get a guy like this that played in arguably one of the toughest juco leagues in mississippi everyone that watches last chance you <laughs> knows that's right yeah knows, that's all i was yeah, thinking knows. did he play at scuba that's all i want to know no, if you he, interviewed him ask him if he played at scuba. no he didn't he didn't play at scuba but he did play against him and uh well that's what i meant if yeah, he played against him that's I, what I, meant. I, I know he played i want to say when i looked play. at his stats i think he had a no it wasn't against east mississippi but i i know his his best game this year just kind of let everyone know what kind of athleticism he has he had five catches for 85 yards and a touchdown in one of his games this year so he was actually a guy that that their offense utilized quite a bit and uh, i i think moving forward that you're going to see tc utilize the tight end more and more i think they try to with Cole Hunt a little bit this year, uh, probably didn't have as many catches as a lot of the TCU fans would have hoped to have seen. But I think moving forward, the way Sonny runs the offense, he's going to want to get the tight end involved in that aspect of the passing game. And I think with everyone seeing the way Oklahoma utilized Mark Andrews yesterday, I think uh, TCU fans are ready to see that kind of 6'4", 6'5", 240-pound uh, tight end running down the seams and, and catching long passes. So that probably means that we're backing off of Jaquarius Spivey. Yeah, the the source I talked to about Spivey, um, he had told me last week that the uh, the big thing for him, the reason why he committed to Mississippi State in the first place was his relationship with Proximity. Dan. Proximity okay. and his relationship with Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen had really made it a point to make Spivey his top guy. And he made him feel like not only were, were you my top tight end prospect, but you're my top prospect overall. And that it really, to not sound too cliche, made him it showed him the love, so to speak. And so you know that's real big with recruits. You got to show me the love. Um, but he went down to Florida. Spivey's not going that far from home. He's he's a homebody. And if you look at where he's at in Monroe, TCU's the closest program to him. And the other schools that were heavily recruiting him, Tennessee, they're going through a massive coaching change. Who knows who's going to get hired there? Arkansas. Was, they need uh, to hire Buddy Stevens. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck recruiting with Sorry. that guy. Um, but, no, that, that – uh, <laughs> The, awesome. They got turnover everywhere. I, I'm sorry yeah. I cut you off. Arkansas, Mississippi State, yeah. Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, basically every school that was looking at Spivey, uh, with the exception of TCU, is is uh, going through a coaching change. But the guy I spoke with had said that if TCU comes back into the picture, that they would definitely be the favorite and probably be the place where he ends up. Now, with this recent news of Pro Wells committing, I don't know how high TCU holds Spivey. Uh, on their on their radar now um, the, the people I spoke with last week were saying that they were still talking about it as a staff and had yet to make a decision on where they were going to move uh, whether or not they were going to move forward on recruiting him and 
guys, I tell, I tell people every year the same story. Guys need to commit when they have the chance because sometimes when you come back around thinking little old TCU has a chance or has a spot for them to come play, it's not there. It's not there anymore. They've already no. moved on, and they found a better player to, to fill that need. And uh, not saying this is the situation, but I, I've seen it before where players have missed the opportunity to commit to TCU, tried to uh, make a different decision later on in the process and, and circle back around and come back to TCU, and the offer just wasn't there. Matter of fact, I'll, I'll tell you guys something. I had a guy reach out to me yesterday that is playing for another program right now. He is so unhappy and he's told me that he wants to transfer to TCU. And he's told me, I asked him, have you even reached out to the coaches or anything? He doesn't even have a release where he's at now. So that's, he could have just been telling me I want to transfer just because he wants to transfer. But I know for a fact, that's, that's how these things happen. They, they people make, bad decisions and they circle back around to teach you later on in the process. And, and luckily for guys like Kenny Hill and John DRS and, and those top players, TCU said, yeah, heck yeah, Aaron Green, Aaron Green come on. Heck yeah. yeah. Come on. Let's go. Matt Bolson. So, I mean, the, those guys that they recruit Matt Bolson, not necessarily out of high school, but for sure, Kenny and, and John were guys that TCU heavily recruited out of high school. And, and uh, um, I know that they're, they're, probably going to have an opportunity to get a uh, another graduate transfer um if 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 they have a spot for him uh, uh if the guy which i think he will i'm not going to mention his name but i've i've asked some people about him and 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 asked if they would be able to take him and and uh they were still discussing it but um if the guy leaves the program he's at right now which his his name has been mentioned prominently and i think he might have already announced that he is transferring because he's a graduate, I think TCU is going to could be a, a final destination for him. Um, so I'll uh, uh, I'll talk about that here on the board here in the next couple of days. But uh, I've got to do some searching around again and, and get some more scoop on that. But it it it's at a uh, offensive line position, so just keep an eye on that. If if you uh, if you read the board, you can go find that. I won't fill in the blanks. You go do, give some page views to twenty four seven. But that should be on there. That's good news. That's good news. Last a couple more questions here, Jeremy. Jamar Chase, any anything new in this last week? I know he had a visit to Michigan. Um, I, I've been told by I've actually been told by a couple sources that LSU is not the front runner by any means. Where do the frogs stand with uh, uh, Jamar Chase? I, I think they're in great position, guys. Uh, I've said it all along, even when he committed to Florida, that I think I thought he would circle back around, and he is one of those recruits that they would allow to circle back around and, and still take a chance on him. Um, he's supposed to visit December, the, the weekend, December 15th through the 17th. And that's supposed to be their biggest weekend where they're trying to get all their commitments in. And that way they can get some of these, uh, uncommitted targets or maybe some committed targets to other programs, uh, up to, uh, Fort Worth for that weekend and, and get around all the other current commits and, and really, let those current commits have a chance to go out and recruit some of those guys and, and sway them to wear TCU purple and white. We'll see how it goes, but right now he's supposed to come up, and I think they're supposed to be having an official in-home with him possibly this week, uh, if not this week, for sure next week before he comes up for an official visit. 
that's one of the targets that I really hope that we land. He's got, um, man, I, I, I see it's just so much talent coming into the program at wide receiver, but I think I think the ability to get a four star out of Louisiana on, on the offensive side of the ball, a second one for this class, I'll tell you, is going to be yeah. going to be great. I'll tell you right now, the, the, if if they get a chance to land a guy like him to go along with Hunt, because I know oh. there are, oh. I mean, a ton, a ton, a ton of people that are super excited that Hunt's going to be a frog and, and they're Ooh. just, they're just waiting for him to get on campus. And, and I, I keep telling everyone that Hunt's underrated right now. We've been trying to get him a bump. He's had a, he had a great season. I think he's going to explode like Jalen Rager did last year when he goes down to that under armor all American game and practices for the week. Cause Jalen last year skyrocketed during that week of practices he was just dominating every defensive back down there. And that's why Jalen went from, I think, being, what, the number 25 receiver to number 14. He, he jumped up big time. And uh, that's kind of the argument I made with a lot of people. I used him as an example because everyone claims every time a high-profile kid commits to TCU, his ranking drops. Well, Jalen's ranking went – his his skyrocketed. And – I think that's the that's the same kind of result Hunt's going to have when he goes down to uh, those practices. Everyone's going to get some eyeballs on him. He didn't have a chance to compete in the Nike camp or the Under Armour camps where a lot of these national guys are out there and, and, and see these guys for the first time. So I think once all the national guys from 24-7, ESPN, and all these other recruiting sites see Hunt in person, they're going to be – they're going to be shocked and they're going to be uh, kind of reevaluating where he stands. You know, I just want to recap this real quick. Cause this was a, this was a great story in my mind, you know, hunts out of Texarkana, Texas high school. You know, he did not run the camp circuit all summer. He, he's not one of these guys that made an appearance at the opening, at the opening prelims, but I saw him with you at the TCU camp. And that was one of the few camps that he attended all summer. And I, I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm trying to not engage in hyperbole when he walked out there with everybody else, I thought this is a guy that did, you know, three years in the service and then went and played Juco ball for two years and then is coming out to play football, uh, trying to get his last two years at TCU. <laughs> he looks like he's 26 years old and has been sitting in the gym for three, for, you know, three hours a day for five years. He is huge. He's got guns. He's got speed. He's got explosion. got explosion. He, he is going to make an impact. If you haven't watched his film yet, you need to go do that because his mechanics are great. His, his explosion, his explosiveness is, is, is off the charts and i agree with you i don't care what he's rated i think he's one of the best right receivers in texas i think he's one of the top 15 receivers in the country i cannot wait to see that guy in purple and think about him and he's all, he's all frog he's oh, yeah. all frog he is he is such a great kid i mean he is yes. such a great kid he does not come from a good home life guys i mean the story about him i think his dad's in prison i think his his mom's really not around he has to stay with the coach and for him to just fight through all that and, and be wow. and be where he's at now and being regarded as one of the top receivers in the state and, and hopefully in the nation pretty soon and having a chance to go to TCU, man, it just his backstory. I mean, it's gonna come out more eventually, but man, that that I'm just that's one of those guys. If you look, I, I always have a hard time figuring out who my favorite recruit is every class. Cause they're all such great kids. It's uh, I can go down the list every year, every, every year I've been doing this and just name the kids that 
were just so awesome to talk to and the guys that were just really quiet and man, he's, he's going to go down on the list. It's just one of those guys that I'm really, really going to root for just because I know the situation he's coming from. And I, I know the talent that he has and, and what he has a chance to accomplish at TCU. And, and the fact that a lot of TCU fans are going to love this kid once he gets on campus, it's, it's going to be awesome to see. That's going to be a great story off and on the field. I can't wait that we need to get, uh, Tom, uh, you know, John, you know, Rinaldi to come down and do a story on him on game day of senior year. That'll be one of those tearjerkers. Look forward to that. Anything else that you want to tell us about recruiting, Jeremy, before we wrap up? Any nuggets, any other uh, little kernels of truth that might trickle out that, that our <laughs> listeners would appreciate? Well, I know that uh, I was I was reaching out because uh, Coach P had said uh, that he was in, in uh, the media press the other day that he was going to try to start getting out on Sunday and, and going to see some kids. It's probably not going to happen. It, it didn't happen today. Um, he, all the coaches were preparing for the bowl game and just trying to get their, uh, everything in line to their bow practices and scripts and all that, that they're going to be having. But I know tomorrow on, on, on a Monday or whenever this comes out, when everyone hears it on Monday, he's supposed to be going out to California and seeing the one time 30 minute commit, Jordan Allen. He's going out there to see Jordan Allen. And uh, yeah, that's, that's one of those things. Jordan just visited uh, Colorado on official visit this past weekend, but I know TCU still in it. Um, and they're still going to, they're still going to keep going after him hard as they can, because they're one of the first teams to discover him. And, and uh, I'm sure Chad Glasgow is going to go out there with him. Cause that's Chad's area and uh, really see what they can accomplish because they need them. They're going to need them at, they're going to lose Matt Boson and, I think the fact that they're they can go out and, and argue. Listen, this is this is what we have as a defensive line. We had 40 sacks this year. We led the Big 12. We've led the Big 12 x amount of years running. Come, you know, you loved it when you were here. There's nothing's changed in the last month that that you didn't love before. Come on, come on back and and, and join the family. So I, I think they'll have a great opportunity to go out there and, and tell him all those things and. Hopefully for Frog fans, he'll come back around because that, that'd be a huge guy. I mean, he's he's ended up being one of the top defensive end prospects in the country, and uh, uh, it would be a great, great land to get him. That would be a good recruit. I hope we can land him because he was the one guy that I thought was going to be able to fill a, fill, a, fill a gap immediately. I know we wouldn't be able to come in and do what Boson did, but I wanted to get him three years, and by that third or second and third year, I thought he could really do some damage. So hopefully the Frogs can land him. Anything else before we wrap up, Jeremy? Off the top of my head, no. I know it's going to be a big okay. week for coaches hitting the road, I, um, and – Hopefully throughout the week, I'll be able to provide that info as far as who they're going out there to see and, and things like that. And just kind of, uh, getting some scoop. I, I know, uh, you know, Vernon Jackson's probably going to be a guy, even though he's committed to Alabama, they're, they're still going to keep an eye on and, and probably go visit. And, uh, it, it right now it's about really going out, seeing all their commitments and really trying to nail them down to get them to sign on December 20th. And, uh, cause that's, that's a big thing. I, that, December 20th is going to be a fun day to watch because you, you've got a, you've got a sense of guys that are going to sign and the guys that don't sign, it's almost going to be like they're uncommitting because if, if they're not signing, why are they not signing? 
It's just like it's going to be re- the the chaos that happens on signing day in February. Where's where's so and so's LOI? How come no one's tweeting about it? Well, how, how how come he hasn't signed yet? It's going to be that kind of it's going to be that kind of impact. It's going to be fun to watch. Probably going to be a headache for me because I'm going to be getting a ton of questions, but I love them. I'll answer everyone I can. Uh, right now, uh, I only there's only one kid I don't think is going to sign. And that's just because he's told me he wants to sign publicly with his teammates. That doesn't mean that he can't sign something and send an LOI into TCU without making it public. You know what I mean? So he just, gotcha. just to kind of give his uh, teammates uh, uh, a, a time in the spotlight as well with him being out there and signing would, would help his teammates kind of have a fun day as well. But it's going to be fun to watch because not only about are you watching the TCU commits that don't sign, you're going to be watching the other ones that they're still going after that haven't signed as well. You know, when we get closer to that day, we'll do a podcast that's about nothing but early signing day. I got a lot of theories about it, and uh, most of them are conspiracy theories, but I got a lot of theories about National Signing Day, and I want to get them on the record and see kind of how it shakes out for for this new signing period because it's a three-day period. That's the other thing people forget. It's not just one day. It is a three-day period where you could sign, and then after that early signing day – you can't sign again until February. So right. you got this, this window and that's, I don't think coach, I think there's coaches that won't sleep for those three days. Exactly. So that's going to be fun to watch, fun to watch. Well, guys, I've really enjoyed doing this with the, with you guys this season. It's uh, kind of bringing it to an end here for the regular season. We got to the big 12 title game. We didn't quite uh, pull it off, but man, this was a fun year to talk about. And we don't thank you, our listeners. I hope that you've enjoyed this season and this podcast as much as we have. We show up every Friday night. I want to give a little props here. Uh, Daniel Southern, our guy who's kind of the power behind the throne. He's the producer. If you're listening to this, it's only because of him. He's the guy that knew what to do, what buttons to push, what t- software to set up to make this happen. And on more than one occasion, we have had like our sound and audio go into the blender and he has literally had to stay up and kind of piece that together. And I want to thank him for, for making that happen. So if you see him online, give him a, give him a shout out because, uh, you know, Jeremy can talk and I can, I can uh, shoot the, shoot the breeze, but Daniel's the one that knows how to make this stuff happen. I really appreciate his work on that. Speedy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well this is going to bring our show to an end please find, track us down on iTunes and Google Play please subscribe give us a rating and maybe leave us a review we appreciate that we want more people to know about the broadcast and to enjoy uh, talking about this pro- program and this sport that we really enjoy talking about TCU Horn Frog Football We've got some basketball stuff that will be coming up here soon we got recruiting we'll have a bowl preview and we'll be back here soon for another episode of the Frogcast.